You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to a Monday edition of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every Heat game, news item, rumor, and more. Thanks for listening, for subscribing, and to those who support us on Patreon. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil. It's Monday, so we're going to open up the mailbag. We've got questions about who the Heat should target in the draft and what the deal is with Bernie, the mascot. But let's start with Dan Lebetard's interview with Pat Riley that aired on ESPN Sunday. David, I know a specific part of the interview resonated with both of us, but for slightly different reasons. Well, I mean, aside from uh, Riley's extensive collection of classic cars, I think the part that probably was, well, to me, resonated the most was uh, him describing his daughter's wedding and the emotion that he was overcome with as he was describing that moment. And, and I, as I mentioned to you off air, my wife was listening to the to the show and, and doesn't really care for the Heat or Riley that much. But, you know, seeing that emotion, she was starting to, to get weepy just looking at it because it was so real and so pure. And to me, that's the part that we kind of often ignore when it comes to Pat Riley is that as Dan mentioned in his interview and as I've mentioned before like we always think of our you know Armani suits and this polished presence along the sideline but the reality is that he is this very gritty blue collar guy from Schenectady New York and he talked about that you know the the difference in those two different sides of his personality but moreover when he was describing the emotions of that moment like this is why he is as impactful as he is as far as his presence with NBA players. Like he is still taken seriously among NBA players. For all that we have criticized at times and that our listeners have been especially critical of Riley and his some of his decision making, you can't discount Riley's impact with players. He is still taken seriously there because I think he is absolutely real. And you see that level of emotion, something that appeals to these players and I, I was also mentioning to you off air, it's something that resonated from a couple of years ago in an interview with Sean Marks, when he took over the GM job in Brooklyn, he talked about a side of Riley that is often, you know, discounted completely is that he is very personal. He knows specifics about players, about everybody he's ever met, about their children, their wives. You know, he'll ask if there's a school project and how they did on that school project a couple of weeks later. These kinds of things matter because it comes across as being very human and relatable. And, and you establish a connection. We've heard a countless number of times from interviews and talking to players and everything else, the business side of it. This is a business. The NBA is a business. That's fine and good, and you're absolutely right that it is a business, but there's also a human element, and I think Riley, in this moment, revealed a lot of that humanity, and I think that's very, very appealing to players, and why he's been able to make such an incredible connection with guys like Dwayne and LeBron and Alonzo Mourning and Irvin Johnson, etc. And that that is part of the culture, right? And he sat there in front of Dan in his apartment in Miami Beach uh, wearing that black Miami Heat culture shirt. And that's part of the culture, right? It's not just running until you puke. It's the family aspect. And they talk about that almost as much as they talk about anything else. But you're right, it is overlooked, right? Because we think about this Miami Heat culture thing as just working harder than every other team in the league. And that's certainly part of it. But so is this other emotional connection. The part And that that part with his daughter, really, that, that stuck out to me too. But then that... And then later in the interview, when he was talking about Alonzo Mourning, after losing to the Knicks, right, in the playoffs, yeah. uh, when they were the one seed, yeah. um, and then he he went up to his office and he was crying, and, and, and Zoe came up to his office and basically said, go down and do your job, uh, talk, to your, talk to your team. 
And the way he started talking about Alonzo Mourning, I mean, he was tearing up when he was talking about his daughter. But the way he started talking about Alonzo Mourning, I could have, those were the same tears. Those were, there was maybe even more tears when he was just talking about Alonzo Mourning. And I was, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm here in uh, South Florida right now. Um, and I was watching the interview with my dad. And he, and he was actually the one pointed out. He's, and by the way, he also started crying when the, the all the, the, you know, the father-daughter stuff came up and all that right. stuff. So it was very moving, for I think, for everybody. But uh, it, it is, it's noticeable how, you know, he can be moved like that, Riley can, yeah, it's, it's by a you know, this big moment involved. with his... Right, yeah. And with it's, it's like the same thing between Alonzo Mourning and his own blood, you know, in his daughter. And that kind of also just speaks to this crazy level, like literally in, clinically insane level of commitment that he has. And love that he has for basketball, and that's sort of I also think the authentic the authenticity that comes out, and it says a lot when they do those like the, those cutaways to all these Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and like it seems like every Hall of Famer ever is thanking Pat Riley for some one reason or the yeah. other. Like that he's st- like there is some people respect the heck out of that guy, and and you know going back to sort of how you open this thing up about. Uh, the fact that people are critical, and you know, for good reason, he constructed a poorly. He, this is not a well-constructed roster. This is not a, a team. This is a team that's going to maybe miss the playoffs and and you know not meet expectations. But that we kind of lose ourselves in that criticism in the moment. And this guy has bounced back repeatedly over and over and over. And I'm not I'm not necessarily trying to say storybook things in the way that like okay he's going to bounce back he's going to go and win that title like he said he did, wants to in that interview, but I just I I think that 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 crazy drive to just win and be good and just keep winning is sort of what fuels this team and just not every team can say that not every organization in the NBA could say that and that's unfortunately the reality and so at the very least the Heat have somebody maniacally just driven to succeed and to win in Pat Riley. And that obviously is seeped down through the entire organization. I think it also showed another aspect of something I mentioned to you before we started recording that having seen this so palpably in the interview, I, I will not discount Riley's ability to make a connection with a superstar in the future. Like we've talked about it before. Like how does he keep getting these meetings or, or rather our focus is on the fact that he didn't sign Gordon Hayward. He didn't sign LaMarcus Aldridge or Kevin Durant or any of these other players. But he's still got a conversation, and I think that conversation is because of these this emotional connectivity that he's able to establish, and I wouldn't discount his ability to make another connection like that in the future. It's somebody. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Butler. Maybe it'll be somebody else. Maybe it'll be Dane Lillard, somebody else who's an emotional guy who wears their heart on their sleeve. But somewhere down the line, Riley's going to get a meeting with somebody, and he's going to establish a rapport, and it's going to translate into a free agent signing. And that's how he gets these things done, because that's the key to success. It came along when you know he took over the Lakers, and he established a relationship with his star player, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was you know well noted as a grumpy old man even when he was in his playing days. You know, it was Irvin Johnson who he established that paternal relationship, very much alike the one that he has with Alonzo Mourning. You know, and and Pat Ewing; those are his guys. They will they will bleed for for Pat Riley. They have blood for Pat Riley, and they will continue to do so because of the the love they have for him as a paternal father figure. And it's a, it's something that's to be said. So I'm curious who that player. Might I think be. the first part, and and the first part of it, just like he did with Magic, with Alonzo, with Dwayne Wade. Yes. 
you kind of fortunately stumble into that player. And I'm not it doesn't I'm not saying take the skill out of it. Like he made a very shrewd trade for Alonzo Mourning. He picked the right guy in Dwayne Wade. Like he did the right things to go get those players. You kind of need that muse, so to speak, that player guy also. And I do I think that that part of of, of the equation is right now missing, but that's not to say that it can't come later. So like we you know, everybody you you circle the summer of 2021 as far as free agency goes and Riley's I would say I would argue maybe Riley's only job between now and July of 2021 is to go get the next Alonzo, the next Dwayne Wade, whoever that player recruiter could be to basically be in that room with him and and then and then do the dirty work at all at the at All-Star weekend and do basically all all the the player tampering that goes on. Like he needs to find that agent, right? And and that's his only job between now and 2021. And any amount of winning that comes between now and then is icing on the cake because 2021 is where it's at. Um, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, let's make it happen. Um, all right. It's Monday. It's mailbag time. We'll do that after this break. What's up, Heat fans? We've got a special announcement. We're going to be giving away a D-Wade World Tour t-shirt to a lucky fan. All you have to do is leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnHeat. Take a screenshot of both and email it to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Once we get to 150 iTunes reviews and 1,500 followers on Twitter, we'll randomly select someone to send a D-Wade World Tour t-shirt to. You get to decide the style and the size. Once we get to 150 and 1,500, we will cut off submissions. So get your submission in now for a D-Wade World Tour t-shirt. It could be yours for free. All right, we got a question about uh, Bernie and what exactly that is coming up later on, which I'm really excited about. But this first question comes from at New Era Heat Nation on Twitter, who writes in, interesting move to put Duncan Robinson and Ryan Anderson in at the same time uh, yesterday, this uh, for Saturday night against the Pistons. I understand Duncan completely. It was a lost game, and they're trying to find out if they found another Richardson or Magruder in him. But Ryan Anderson essentially has no shot at even being on the roster next year. Despite what Spo said about not tanking, it's very difficult to deny the stealth tank after some of these rotations. So I have two questions. Do you think it's more important to play the best rotations we have in order to make another 30-11-like and 11 playoff push? Or is it more important to develop the young guys we have for next year? And what do you think about Spo, or what do you think Spo slash Riley think is more important? So uh, a bunch of stuff in there, David. First part, I just want to say, I was at that Pistons game, and before the game, Eric Spolster basically unsolicited. I didn't ask, but I, I asked a question about like Dwayne Wade and Udonis Haslam's leadership in the locker room or something like that. And unsolicited, Spolster basically said, we're not playing for ping Pauls. Ping Pauls would be misery. And he's, and maybe I'm just being gullible. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, you know, after talking with Spolstra and watching the Pat Riley interview, um, maybe I'm just in this mode right now. But I kind of believe them. I really don't think that he's tanking, and I don't think that he is jiggering the rotations in order to stealth tank. And I've never thought that. I have never thought that to be the case. I just kind of think the roster is not good, and the team doesn't play very well, and is constantly hurt. And I don't know that he's, there's a lot of answers there, and I don't know that there is any you know crazy chemistry that's all of a all of a sudden just unlock some team we've never seen before. I just don't think that the players are super good. And 
so to me, I don't think I, I believe too much in the stealth tank given with the rotations. Um, so if, if you disagree, chime in right now. But I do think we've talked about that quite a bit. And I'd like to tackle the second part of this question if, if, if we're ready to just move on to that. Um, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so you don't disagree. You think the stealth tank on rotations? Okay, so we're on the same page. Um, so the other part of that question was, is it more important to play the best rotations we have in order to try to make another put playoff push, or is it more important to develop the young guys? Um, See, that's interesting because I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Exactly. And and that's an, an interesting question because to me, I mean, maybe if you count, if you count Duncan Robinson, then maybe if that means you sitting Hassan Whiteside completely, who has been somewhat effective as of late, you know, or more effective than he has been at other times throughout the last season or two. So. I mean, I, I, and Whiteside played thirty minutes against the Pistons. Yeah, so, but I guess that—that's right. the move. Then I guess that's the most obvious thing as far as if you're looking at it as either young players or best players. Maybe Hassan is the only player who is not necessarily mm-hmm. a quote unquote young player who would have to sit in order to play a guy like Bam Adebayo, just because clearly Adebayo is among that younger core that you're looking to continue to develop. So that's that's the only move that I can see. Somewhat, you know, like what we saw in December when Hassan sat out for the birth of his child. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, I think they're going to continue. I mean, the best players on the roster are, are the Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow right. at this point. Right. They are the young players. Right. right. So, I mean, unless it's, unless it's Duncan Robinson, you know, or somebody else that you think, right. oh, let's give him minutes and see what we've got. I mean, he played against Detroit. I don't know how much more he can possibly play without you just yeah. sacrificing a whole heck of a lot. Uh, I mean, I, I, I texted you uh, during the game. I was like, wow, Duncan Robinson, he's in for the literally crunch time, like the last six minutes right. of the fourth quarter. And it, wasn't, it was, it was g- getting away from the heat, but it wasn't completely gone, right. the game. Right. And I was like, Duncan Robinson playing crunch time minutes in the most important quarter of the season, which it literally was. Right. And I thought that was interesting, but it's not like I thought that I, – I just was pointing it out as this is kind of where we are at right now. Not as if like, wow, I can't believe Spo is playing Duncan Robinson. It was more of a reflection on the roster, you know? Like that was kind of the best option at that point because Miami was like 7 of 20-something from three-point range at that point. Like they couldn't, they couldn't hit a shot for anything. So they're like, all right, let's throw in Duncan Robinson who made his first three, uh, his first shot of the night. So – um, I was like, yeah, I guess. And, like, you're missing Winslow, so you're missing some length. Duncan Robinson has length, and he, and he provides a little bit of that defensively, um, even if he's still very much raw on that end. I just – I was like, yeah, I guess this is the best option because Magruder wasn't shooting well. Magruder shot, like, 18% since the turn of the calendar right. year. Like, he can't shoot anymore. So it's so – He's not – Yeah, this is kind of where we're at. He's out of the classification of young young players that you're trying to develop, right? At this point, you've developed everything you can out of Rodney. Mm. And you're not getting anything additionally. Yeah. So – I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, you might you might just be at the point where Duncan Robinson, you're playing Duncan over Rodney, but I don't even know if we're at the point where Duncan Robinson shouldn't be considered a better player than Rodney Magruder. That's just given yeah. given the way that Rodney's been playing. You know, so, I mean, I'm trying to think of what this quote unquote young development roster or, or rotation might look right. like. I mean, it's obviously you're you're still starting Justice and Josh, which makes sense. Do you have Derek Jones Jr. and Duncan Robinson along with Bam Adebayo in the starting lineup? I mean, yeah, you can't do that. I, you can, but yeah, I mean, what it would very much signal a tank, yeah, right? Yeah, I think at that point, then it's it's pretty mm-hmm. obvious, and I don't know that they're going to do that. I don't know that they're going to do that to Dwayne in his last year. I don't know that they're going to do that to Goran mm-hmm. Dragic, as he has contract issues potentially coming up. 
I don't think you want the headache and the hassle of Dion Waiters, who, who who still fits that categorization. I mean, he's what twenty six. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's young enough, right? I mean, maybe you're still trying to hopefully develop him as far as a more consistent you've, player. You've got Dion and Dragic kind of working themselves back in game shape, and James Johnson. You've got these guys working themselves back into game shape. I could see one of James Johnson or Linux falling out in favor of Derek Jones Jr. But again, I go back to the point where Derek Jones Jr. might be better than both of those guys right now. So just get, given what the Heat need, I don't know if in a vacuum he's better than Kelly Olenek or James Johnson, uh, especially when James Johnson is healthy. See, I, I answered James this question on Friday's podcast while you were out yeah. as far as you know the development or the, the ceiling for Derek. And to me, he's, he's still not so capable of creating his own shot or making plays for himself and others that I, I feel like that's something that needs much more offseason work. What was the player example that you gave for Derek Jones Jr.? I don't remember. Did you give one? I don't think I did. Okay. I was thinking about this. Um, was that part of the question? Lukumba Amute? Ooh, okay. No, no. It wasn't. Okay. But just like that length in like is kind of a three, but in this new NBA, if you have like a big center like Whiteside, for example, you could play him at the four because you could just sort of switch everything. Well, I think I made a comparison not to any one player, but I, I think I said – Part of the problem with Derek, and I think what provides an ultimate limitation to his ceiling, is that he's just too small. Like, he's too slight. Yeah. And I think as much as yeah. he has this elite athleticism, unless he bulks up considerably, he's going to be a problem. Like, I, I don't think he's nearly as capable a score right now as, say, a Brandon Ingram, who is, is an obvious comparison as far as the size and frame is compared. Uh, you know, and, Right, right. He's not as natural a shooter correct. either. Right. So I think you, know, yeah. you, you want to continue to develop your outside shooting, maybe work on your ball handling a little bit. And we saw that with Rodney this past season when he was able to work you know, in pick-and-roll situations really well. So I would imagine that's the focus for Derek Jones Jr. over the summer. Just getting bigger. Yeah. Get in that weight room. Yeah. yeah. Work out with Whiteside, man. The guy, All the guy does is bicep curls all day. <laughs> you know, but I also said um, the point, <laughs> see if you agree with me. Jones Jr. strikes me as the kind of guy that doesn't want to work out because he probably feels more comfortable at a lighter weight, right? As far as, like, his explosiveness is concerned. You know what? I don't I, – I, you're right, right, because of the dunking and the offensive rebounding. And by the way, the dude pound for pound is easily the best offensive rebounder on the team. And, you know, one of the top in the league probably, again, pound for pound. And there's not a whole lot of pounds. So that's why that matters. <laughs> Um, but, um, I get that. And on defensively, I just, where the league is going with less and less need for phys- playing physically. And I, I know there is a need for that in the post, but if you're playing him next to a guy like Whiteside, I think you can kind of get away with it yeah. in the right, in the right framework of, a, of, a, like, I don't think you could play Derek Jones Jr. next to Bam out of bio. Bam is, is big, but he's not like ginormous like Whiteside right. is. Um, you could play him next to like a Rudy Gobert or a Yusuf Nurkic or like one of these just giant guys. Um, but, and in today's game, I almost think that the lateral quickness and the fluidity and the switchability is just more important than just overall size. Mm -hmm. So I do think that Derek Jones Jr. could probably work in, uh, at his size defensively and be a really good defender. Um, it's again, the durability could be an issue going forward, but, uh, I think that could be an issue on either end of the floor, offensively or defensively. So, um, It'll be interesting to see where that goes. But overall, I just think we're at the point where um, I don't think anything is going to change. And I think we get a lot of questions like this. What does Spo do now that it's this and that and this is happening and it's a playoff push, blah, blah, blah. Don't expect any changes, people. The rotations are going to be very similar. Guys are going to get minutes. Some guys aren't. You're going to have questions on a game-to-game basis just based on who's available and who ends up playing in the fourth quarter, etc. 
I don't expect any drastic changes. I don't see it happening based on any sort of context. So, um, all right, let's move on to our next couple of questions after this break. All right, we got two more questions, David, in this mailbag. Uh, let's get to this one from Point Justice Better Season, who writes in, let's say the Heat will end up with a top 10 pick in the draft. Who should we draft? So, all right, you and I were talking before we started recording here. I don't know if it's necessarily time to start doing homework on stuff. You know, like, do I have to start watching college basketball now? It's I don't... a little late for that, but yes, I guess <laughs> Like I, I, you know, you know me how I feel about the draft, and I, I think that regardless of where Miami falls in the lottery or not, that's only only going to be used as a bargaining chip for a trade. I, I can't see them okay. actually selecting a player. At least that's just my perspective right now. Okay. Um. Select well, they'll they could they'll select the player and then trade that player. Is what you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. They they package okay. him with somebody else, or or do something to make a move to acquire a more established player, which is yeah, you know, that's their mo and has been for twenty years. I don't disagree that that's the case. Um, and, and just based on where they're slotted right now, um, they're 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 right now according to Tankathon, they have the tenth pick in the draft, or they have that tenth spot in the draft, which gives them uh, a thirteen point nine percent chance at getting a top four pick in the lottery, and a three percent chance at the number one overall pick. Uh, shout out to Chris Mannix, I believe, who said that the Heat <laughs> yeah. have the most karma and should end up with the number one pick after the lottery and get Zion. If that happens, I think they'll just take Zion or trade it for Anthony Davis. Who knows? But um, huh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any of the guys. I don't. I don't know any of the guys. I know that Zion is really good. I would love him. R.J. Barrett would be great. Like if the Heat are able to like leap into the top four, hmm. my guys would depending on where they're at. Zion, R.J. Barrett, Jay Morant. I love him. I think he's awesome um, as a point guard at Murray State. He's just got all the athleticism in the world, and I think he's worth a flyer. After that, I don't like people love Jarrett Culver out of Texas Tech. I've not watched a single second of Texas Tech basketball in my life. Yeah. Um. Keldon Johnson from Kentucky's there. We got a question about him um, that I didn't include in the mailbag just because I haven't watched any Keldon Johnson. But he's like a 6'6", mm-hmm. small forward out of Kentucky. He's kind of that tweener size. I think the Heat need more length, point blank. Like, if he was 6'8", sure. Yeah. But also, if he was 6'8", he'd probably be a top three pick. Um, I think. I don't know. DeAndre yeah, Hunter out of Virginia is slotted into him. Kind of like him. Rui Hachimura? Yeah, we got a question about him, too. Yeah, out of Gonzaga. He's got the. I mean, I look again. This is. I'm sorry. I am not a draft expert, as most of our listeners probably know. And six eight two thirty five. That's more along the lines of something that we're looking at. He plays a small forward, kind of the three four position. I think that's that's typically what we're looking at. A three year yeah. player out of Gonzaga. Yeah, you know, I'm sure good, uh, Olenek probably has some connections there that he could establish and find out a little bit more about him. I mean, that that seems. He's. He's. I'm looking at a. A mock draft right now. He's got. He's slated to be taken fourth overall, so that's probably out of our range. But in the same mock draft, they have the Heat taking a point guard, six two, one seventy five, out of Vanderbilt, named Darius Garland, and that sounds fine. Yeah. But the Heat aren't taking a guy who weighs one hundred seventy five pounds in a six two. Like that's just not going to happen. I'm still on the the Saku Dumbuya bandwagon. I just yeah. like his. I literally only because I've seen the measurables. I've never seen him play. I just think he looks good on a spreadsheet, and I'm just like, sure, let's send it in. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, we I we are gonna we we've been talking about um, 
you and I have been texting. We're gonna get we're gonna get a draft expert on, and that's kind of what we're leading into here. We're gonna get a draft expert on in the next couple of weeks because not not because we don't you know not because I think we think that all of a sudden the Heat are gonna start tanking and, and vault into the top five or six of the draft, but they're gonna have a draft pick. It's gonna be in the top half of the of 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 the draft, and so it's worth bringing on somebody who could sort of speak to maybe that 8 to 15 range. So we're going to do that. So look forward to that in a future podcast. I can't tell you when. Very rough right now. Um, but we're going to do that maybe a couple times over the, the rest of the season. So that's where we're going with this. So keep sending the draft questions in. David and I won't be able to be very helpful, but we'll, we'll kind of stockpile them, and, and we'll do that when we have um, somebody who can be helpful for you. This next question comes from Evil Dave DeFore. Hmm. Which, like, shout out to Dave guy? DeFore. <laughs> shout out to Dave, friend of the show. Uh, yeah, I thought it was him. I was like, oh, well, he just, you know, made a more accurate Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> t- turns out he's got parody accounts. I don't know if we have parody accounts. I'm kind of jealous, to be honest. We do not. It, it probably, well, There's, what would it be? Just hypothetical trades and one guy, you know, is talking about never drafting a player ever again? <laughs> Anti, anti-tanking Ramil and um, <laughs> the process Goldberg. I don't know. There you go. Uh, Evil Dave DeFore writes in, What is Bernie the mascot like supposed to be species-wise? Wow. This is... I really... I I was kind of thinking we should do the whole show on this. This is right up my alley. Um, this is you're, like... You're if trying it's not, to eliminate the, the two dozen listeners we have right now. So I... <laughs> I give a lot of thought to this. I gave a lot of thought to this. Like, like, shout out to everybody that sent in questions. I thought about this one more than any other question we got. And he looks a lot. Bernie does looks a lot like the Philly fanatic, right? The okay. the, the 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 Phillies mascot, that sure. big green thing. Technically, Bernie is a fireball. That, if you look at his Wikipedia bit, that and and given in Heat history, describes him as a fireball. That's just what he is. He is a kind of weird human-like fireball thing. He really looks like the Philly fanatic. So I'm like, those guys are probably related, right? Like, they're probably cousins of some kind. Uh, the Philly fanatic, according to Wikipedia, is a large, furry, green, bipedal, flightless bird. Hmm. So I think if we're starting out from the level of, is Bernie a mammal, a fish, a reptile, a bird, whatever, I think he's very clearly a bird. Can we agree on that? No. No! No. I don't think, I don't think he's any... And this is a word that you dropped on me before we started recording. The taxonomy of Bernie the mascot. I, I don't think he is easily classified. I don't think he is avian in nature. He is not a bird. That is not a beak on his on his face. There. That is a basketball. <laughs> it is yes, a basketball. I see, I but Philly the, fanatic has a horn. Yes, I, I, he doesn't seem like a bird either. I mean, look, I, that's what I, he is. Well, I mean. Wikipedia is one thing, Wes. I, I don't know how you can take that as a end all be all. I mean, where are your college? I did in college. That was literally all. That was literally my all of the research I did in college, and I passed college just fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're flying colors, I'm sure. Um, no, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just I don't see it. I guess. So, there's... what do you think? It, a mammal then? Like, what? Because no, well, no, of the fur? No, no. He's a, an androgynous. Um, <sighs> non-being to be honest with you i mean he, he's clearly <laughs> sentient because he okay. does react to things uh aside from that to me as i mentioned before i look at him and maybe it's, it's a, a little bit more of a uh a poetic way of phrasing what he is uh well wikipedia does describe him as an anthropomorphic 
version of a fireball, whatever the hell yeah. that means. But to me, he's more like a, you know, you know, I'm a comic book f- fan. He's, he's more like a fire elemental or something like that. Like he's like a, maybe even like a demonic fire being in nature, <laughs> except that he makes people laugh, except for that woman in Puerto Rico. Kids love him. him. I don't know. I, look, I, Bernie's had some hot water before. I, I, I don't know. No pun intended. I'm not quite sure what he is, to be honest with you. And then there's the all white version of him, too. Yeah. Like the albino Bernie, have we seen this one? It's and how do you, and, and and how could that not be some sort of animal on Darwin's Island? I, I don't know, man. I, I just don't. What's see it. what's like, that bird that's um, extinct dodo? now? I think he's a dodo. No, he's no dodo. Come I think on. he's a dodo. I think he's a dodo with a basketball nose. I mean, it, it was an unfortunate accident. He fell off the cliff as the dodos did. There's no wings there. Beak fell off. He he's got it with fingers. a basketball. He's found got a fingers. New... He can't be a bird. He's got fingers. Does he have fingers? He does. Looking I at feel like right he's now. got mitts. No, he's does got he have fingers. five? Uh, one, two. No, he's got four fingers. Maybe he's a mammal. Well, this is a, Homer Simpson has four fingers. Oh, that's a good point. Now that we're yeah, that's very scientific. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't see it. I don't. Uh, I'm not quite sure here. Does the Philly fanatic have fingers? Because <laughs> if the Philly fanatic has fingers and is still a bird. Then mascot birds can have fingers. What is gritty? Oh my God! The 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 Philadelphia Flyers mascot. He's new, and he's a nightmare. He's like the okay. embodiment of a nightmare. The Philly fanatic has fingers, so that poo poo's your finger th- theory. Like <sighs> mascot birds can have fingers. Yeah, he's got. He also has four fingers, so they are related. I think that I think that they're related. I think that they're both birds. All right, I'm interested to know. We're we're just going to talk in circles about this. Um, what do you guys think? Listening is Bernie a bird, a mammal, or just some demonic object straight from hell? Uh, we'll <laughs> find us on Twitter at Lockdown Eat and let us know. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Heat. Connect with us on Twitter at Locked On Heat or email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Oh.